Turn back to Ecclesiastes, if you would. We are in chapter 5 of our study in the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon is showing us what he means by all is vanity. And everything under the sun is vanity, which means it's temporal, temporary. It's a puff. It's a vapor. It cannot sustain your hope. It cannot sustain your happiness. It cannot sustain your joy and satisfaction. And so he's pulling the rug out from under us so that we don't think this world's our home. We don't try to find our hope here, but we look to God who reigns and we fear him. And that's been already a consistent message through the book. But we're sort of in the middle now. We're in chapter 5 at a providential, we're always at a providential place, but uh, this seems to be a good spot to be this Sunday. And uh, I'm going to read verses 1 through 9 in chapter 5, and we're only we're going to look at verse 8 and 9 this morning. Verse 8 and 9. But look in, in the first uh, verse of chapter 5, and we'll begin reading there. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on the earth. Therefore let your words be few. For a dream comes with much busyness, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for He has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you owe. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. For the high official is watched over by a higher and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. Thus far God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, this is your word. Salvation is a work of your grace. Whether we are growing in grace and sanctification or coming to faith in justification, your spirit must apply your words to your people. Send forth your word in your church and shape your church into a God-honoring, Christ-centered, spirit-filled, gospel-trumpeting church. Send forth your word and call sinners to repentance. Send revival to your church. Help us to love and honor you. 
So empower me, help me to preach your word and empower us here in the building and through the live stream and through recordings, whatever, to hear your word as your word and to humble ourselves before it and to live in its light with our hearts and eyes and hopes and dreams fixed on Christ. Bless us this morning with your truth. Lift high your Son. Make us like Him. In the holy name of Jesus we pray. Amen. She calls out to the man on the street, Sir, can you help me? It's cold and I have nowhere to sleep. Is there somewhere you can tell me? He walks on, doesn't look back. He pretends he can't hear her. Starts to whistle as he crosses the street and seems embarrassed to be there. Oh, think twice, because it's another day for you and me in paradise. Oh, think twice, because it's another day for you and me in paradise. That's Another Day in Paradise by Phil Collins. Somewhat of a personal testimony there, tongue-in-cheek, Another Day in Paradise. But we're, we're, we're studying Ecclesiastes, as I said. Solomon is showing us the emptiness of trying to hope in things under the sun. And today we're going to look at another ongoing symptom. We've seen this symptom already. We've seen these things pop up in chapter 3, verse 16, and chapter 4, verse 1 to some extent. But we have a different sort of application of them and way to look at them in this text. Um, the other thing I will say is if you, as you read your different translations of the Bible, you'll see them come out in different places in translating these verses. And some are just trying to translate the words and some are sort of trying to translate in a way that gives a commentary on what they think the words mean because there's this section, especially verse 9, is, is, is very difficult in Hebrew. And somewhat uncertain at the end of the verse. So you'll see that as we look at a couple of different translations. But don't be confused by that because the major application is crystal clear in the text. There's an application for us here as we look at and are reminded of a symptom of life in a fallen world. There's an application that is cross our nature. It's counter what we expect and would normally do. That's kind of where I want to focus. But in this, this, the symptom of life in a fallen world is corruption and is government corruption. And pray for me because this sermon could easily get away from me. Especially in light of the days that we live in. So I'm going to try to stand strong on my notes here. But listen, we're going to talk about government corruption. We're going to talk about corruption in general. We're going to talk about evil and poverty. Not a lot. We would be here too long. But the main thing we want to see is how do we respond to this? How, how do we react to this? What, how does it serve us? Did you know government corruption and evil can serve you if you see it rightly? 
Don't let it twist you up. Let it serve you and propel you towards Christ. Don't walk and think as though the world should be paradise, that this world should be paradise. That's what gets us in trouble a lot of times. Even though most people think it should be, if there's a God, things shouldn't look like this. Well, if there is a God being rebelled against, things should look exactly like this and worse. Even though most people think it should be, this is not paradise. This is not our home. This is our mission field. We are to be in battle array. But like Jesus. And not in the flesh. So I did title it Another Day in Paradise. Just using that tongue-in-cheek expression. But my main point I want to get across to me and to you this morning is don't be surprised by evil. Don't be surprised by evil. Let it remind you that you live in a fallen world and let it cause you to look up. Don't be surprised by evil. But let it remind you you live in a fallen world and let it cause you to look up. Point one. Since we do not live in paradise or since we don't live in paradise, expect evil in the land. This will fill a stadium with people, won't it? What to expect from life in a fallen world. Let me read it again. If you see in, the, in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, the violent oppression of the poor maybe, and violation of justice and righteousness. So yeah, we have sort of an if-then statement going on here. You could really say, when you see this, do this. Since you see this, do this. But it says, if you see in a province, first, the oppression of the poor. When you see the oppression of the poor. Government makes a lot of promises to poor people that it does not keep. Most of government strategies to help the poor trap them in poverty. Use them for voting blocks. Keep them dependent. But there is a lot of oppression. On an individual le level, we can be like Phil Collins was and sang about. We can sort of ignore the poor, and that's not the biblical mandate. We need to do what we can do to help the poor, especially brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. And we should work for and fight for a government that would help the poor. But what we see in the land is oppression of the poor. And that hasn't changed. And it won't change. See, he doesn't really mean when he says, if you see that, you know, this might not be what you see. Because even Jesus said, you always have the poor, right? The poor will always be here. It doesn't mean we don't try to help them, but it's a, it's a sense of reality. But there, here is, this is what you'll see in a fallen world. If you see, because you'll see it from the application that that's what he means. If you see in the province the oppression of the poor, and I could take a whole long sermon and talk about a, how to serve the poor, and there'll be a good day for that, but that's not today. 
He says, if you see the oppression of the poor, or and, or, or, depending on your translation, if you see the violation of justice and righteousness, people not behaving justly, people not behaving righteously, therefore, you know what governments are made up of? They're made up of people. Boom. It's okay. Don't worry about it. <laughs> So, evil people, lost people, go into government, then you have government to some extent behaving unjustly and unrighteously. We're not living in a fairy tale. We're living in a real world that's in rebellion against God. It's under judgment, which is increasing. And these things we expect to see. Oppression of the poor. And this is a representative sample. This is not a full detailed list of all the sin and all the misery in the world. But in this text, if you see the poor not being treated the way they are supposed to be treating, if you see the courts not acting the way the courts are supposed to act, and judging and coming to conclusions in favor of the wealthy and powerful and against the poor, if you don't see justice and righteousness in the government and through the government for the people and the people this way, if you see in the land, if you see in the United States oppression and violence and a violation of justice and righteousness, this is what you should do. Look what it says. Do not be amazed by the matter. Don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. As though it wasn't supposed to be this way. Now, new heavens and new earth, God created all things great before sin. Yes, intuitively know that the world should look differently, but we, we sort of sweep sin and man's fault out of the way and just think God should just coddle everybody if He exists. Uh-uh. Not how it works. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and rights, don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. Don't drop slack jaw. What, expect to see this in a fallen world. Have proper expectations. One of the things Solomon is trying to help us do is know where we live and have proper expectations for where we live. That's why he's saying if you see these horrible things, don't be amazed. Don't be shocked. Don't be surprised at the matter. But most people are. So if you see this, then don't be amazed. But most people are. And most people try to blame God for it. If God was good, then there wouldn't be all this suffering. Well, you've left out a whole lot between those two statements. If God was holy, we'd all be in hell right now if we just focused on His holiness. Things are better than, far better than we deserve for them to be. But why are most people shocked? Well, number one, we forget where we live. We forget that we live in a fallen world that deserves judgment and worse judgment than it is getting right now only because God has a plan of redemption that He's working out to save a people in His Son. But we forget where we live on a daily basis. We need to remind ourselves where we live. We need to remind ourselves why Christ had to go to the cross. I put him there. 
He died for His enemies. This is a fallen world. And praise God, He's merciful and He's saving a people and He offers salvation to you if you will hear the Gospel. This morning. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But see, people, we forget, even church people, even Christ people, saved people, not everybody in the church is Christ people. Y'all know that, right? Especially the church broadly. I'm telling you, this can get away from me this morning. Here's another reason. People think people are basically good. You probably were kind of taught that, at least exampled that. People think people are basically good, and that's basically wrong. Because people are fundamentally evil. The Bible says all of our righteousness is filthy rags. That's not a compliment. All of our attempts to be righteous as rebels against the holy God are like being compared to dirty rags. Far as I'll go with that this morning is once a month, once a month rags for women. That's not a complimentary comparison. That's nasty. Before a holy God, we deserve judgment. Why? Because we've sinners. We have swept His law. Unlike the psalmist, we've swept it out of the way to do our own thing and go our own way. People are born since the fall dead in sin, deserving condemnation, needing a Savior, living out rebellion against God. That's how people basically are. Apart from Christ, that's what you are. And as people like that go into government, that's what government's like. The basic problem is the heart. But see, we forget where we live and we think people are basically good. And therefore we think things shouldn't be bad. And I'm telling you, they should be worse. Much worse. This is not our home. We're passing through, and we're passing through with a purpose. And that's to glorify God. To live lives that adorn the gospel. And to preach and teach and share and speak that gospel to those all around us. Because everyone needs a Savior. So don't be amazed at the oppression of the poor and the violence and the justice, injustice. When, when should we really be amazed? We should really be amazed when you don't see evil. When you don't see suffering. When those glimpses happen when you don't see injustice and unrighteousness. That's when you should be amazed living in a fallen world. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That includes you. And if your faith is not in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will answer for those sins by yourself before this holy God one day. It's appointed to man to die once and then the judgment. Be ready. 
So, he's saying here, don't be shocked when you see oppression and don't, don't be shocked when you see the violation of justice and righteousness. Those two terms are related. Again, I won't spend a whole sermon or series on how that is this morning. But let me ask you, what is the standard of what is just and right? We, God's law. God is. Now, God is the standard. Okay? There's no standard above Him that He has to measure up to. He is holy and righteous and just and pure. And He is the standard. And He has revealed Himself and therefore His standard in His Word. And more specifically, in His Ten Commandments. He summarized it for us. God is the standard. And in His Word, He commands justice and righteousness. And we see that summarized in the Ten Commandments. Ravi Zacharias said this, and I'll pause for a minute. A lot of accusations being made against him. I have no idea whether those things are true or not. Okay? Everybody I quote doesn't mean I believe everything they say. Just that thing I quote is what I believe when I quote people. But anyway, he said this, the reason we have 17,000 pages in our law books is because we cannot follow 10 lines and tablets made of stone. Mankind is in rebellion against God and His law and reaping the fruit of that rebellion which is misery, oppression, injustice, unrighteousness. Calling evil good and good evil and expecting blessing in the process. So don't be surprised when you see evil in the land. It's not a shocking thing if you see it from God's perspective and what we deserve to have. We live in a fallen world that lives based on fallen principles that cause evil good and good evil. Sometimes, not all the time. But God doesn't grade on the curve. Don't be surprised when you see evil in land and don't be surprised when you see it in government. Point number two. Since we don't live in paradise, expect evil in government, in government officials. Do y'all know every one of our um, uh, representatives and people in government don't know Jesus? It's not a... I'm saying all of them don't know Jesus. Some of them, praise God, do, but they're a very small minority that are being marginalized more and more like the church as we go forward. Now, these are some verses that you see, especially eight, at the end of 8 and 9, that you'll see variants in, common, in, uh, in translations. Everybody's struggling to interpret it and, and well, translate it first and interpret it rightly. So uh, in the ESV, it, it uh, read that way. I'm going to quote for you, the, uh, and Cindy will <laughs> like this, quote for you the New Living, not that she likes everything the New Living Translation says, but there, there's every once in a while, you know, every once in a while it gets it right. No, you know, God really did use that translation powerfully in reading through the Psalms one time in, in our lives. So, um, But the New Living Translation, uh, and coming through Dr. Shaw and him saying he thinks they, they get it right here, um, is probably talking about different levels of bureaucracy, 
And therefore, no wonder the, the poor are not cared for because the government's eaten the whole pie just about and that kind of thing. But the New Living Translation says it this way. For every official is under orders from a higher up and matters of justice get lost in red tape and bureaucracy. And even the king milks the land for his own profit. If there's a certain amount of produce the country can make and the more the government eats up, the less is left over for the poor. Bigger the government, the more poor you're going to have. So whether, you know, whether it is the proper treatment of the poor or just general matters of what's right and just in general, human government tends to expand. It tends to be all about itself. It tends to want to point everybody to it as the answer for everything. It gets bloated and gets out of hand. See, evil is going on in the land, but the government, verse 8b and following, is so busy, you know, watching out for one another and taking, striving for power and getting bigger and bigger and taking more and more unto itself. You know, bureaucrats, don't, they don't produce. We need some of them. We don't need all of them. They take... So you, you've got this jockeying for position. High, some people say the higher and the higher is God and the angels, and I understand that, but I don't think that's what this, these verses are teaching. They're teaching things getting lost in bureaucracy. Bureaucracy is, especially bloated bureaucracy, is a bad thing when it takes... I mean, I see it sometimes, and you know the joke, how many people does it take in the highway department to fill a hole? Well, it takes five, one to work and four to watch them. I've got, I don't know what the water department's doing, but there's about five of them that come to my street about every week and take the lid off and stare in the hole for a little while. And then they put the lid back on and leave. I don't know what they're doing. I used to work for a company that was a computer company and we serviced uh, computers in the power company. And, and four out of five of those people get paid to stand around the water fountain, I think. Or the receptionist's desk. You see what I mean? It's just gets bloated. And here, just these, all of these levels of government have to be supported. They don't support themselves. And so they're taking, and therefore there's this outflow into the community of poverty and other things. Solomon intends for us to adopt the mindset that corruption in government is inevitable in a fallen world. It is inevitable. Don't be surprised when you see it. We see it all over the place. And it, it, it reminds us that we live in a fallen world. Corruption is inevitable. Don't be surprised by it. I'm not saying don't fight against it. And God's Word is not saying don't fight against it. But have proper expectations about what that fight's going to bring. We should work and pray and preach and teach and fight for you know godly people in government and godly laws and wickedness to be overturned but it may not always work out that way and it may not work out that way in America and if it don't don't be shocked fight it God's way don't adopt worldly methods of fighting evil but don't be surprised by evil in the culture. 
Corruption is a bad thing. But Solomon is not advocating complacency. And nor am I. But he does want us to be realistic that this is not our home and that we should not place our hope in man. You know, in the, in the flow of history, America has been this wonderful type of parentheses. In case you didn't know it, it's going away. Day by day. We fight to maintain those freedoms. But don't be shocked at the evil in government. Fight it God's way. Corruption is characteristic of humans, so it's characteristic of human bureaucracy. And the bigger the bureaucracy, the more the corruption. Governors are just as responsible to keep God's law as the average citizen. Romans 13, they are called to be His ministers, to execute justice. What justice? His justice. Not the one they make up. They're entrusted with enforcing justice and righteousness that is defined by God in His law. Civil law is to be shaped and regulated by divine law. And when it's not, it's unjust and unrighteous. And there's a lot of unjust and unrighteous law these days. Whoever ends up in power. Number one, no God's in power. He's on the throne. I don't know how this election is finally going to turn out. But whoever ends up in power is responsible to honor God and His law and to fight against oppression, injustice, and unrighteousness. And if they don't, there will be judgment. Either in this life or the one to come. Or both. Man can legislate sin all he wants. And all he does is pile up judgment and condemnation for himself from God. <clears throat> I have a word from God this morning for the governors. I have a word from God this morning for whoever ends up in the White House. I have a word from God that I was confident is a word from God this morning. And it's one word. Repent! 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 Repent of your evil in your governmental efforts. Because you can't stand for murder and claim with your lips to be promoting one nation under God. You cannot stand for the slaughter of the innocent. You cannot be for abortion up to birth and say you're promoting one nation under God.
You do not know God as your Savior if you are a murderer in your heart and if you are for the slaughter of the innocents up through birth, you are a murderer in your heart and you don't know God and you may get great power and great riches in government, but you will burn in hell if you do not repent. And if case they're listening, I'll use a name. Biden, Harris, listen to me if you enter the White House. Trump, anybody. If you're in that position of power, you are in it under God and you are to execute His righteousness and justice. And if you won't do it and you won't live for Him, no matter how flowery your life is on this planet, you will be condemned and you will be in hell forever. Repent. That is the word from God to our government officials. Now you can see how I can say this might get away from me this morning. But like John Knox said, I am not called to whisper sweet things into Prince's ears. I'm called to preach the Word and call our officials to repentance. So if there's any way you can do it, show them this sermon. I'm not afraid of you. Crown my head or cut it off to live as Christ, to die as gain. When you legislate sexual immorality... In case Facebook's listening, a friend of mine's Facebook church Facebook page, the whole thing was taken down because he preached against homosexuality. So do I. Not because I hate those people. I feel great passion for those people. But it is sexual immorality and it is to be repented of. And the gospel is sufficient for that repentance. It says such were some of you. In 1 Corinthians 6. So as we seek to legislate sexual immorality, we will stand before God and answer for that. Biden and Harris and whoever else is listening, you will answer for that. I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't tell you so, and I'm making some of you uncomfortable. But we have to start speaking plainly. The church is a big reason we're in the shape we're in right now in this country. Because we won't speak. I'm sorry. No, I'm not. I just kind of morphed into Paul Washer for a little while, that's all. Whoever ends up in the White House, you are responsible to live for God according to His law, His Ten Commandments. You can go ahead and bring that up if you've got it. You will be judged by this. You don't have to like it. On how you have lived or not lived for God, first four commandments. How you have lived or not lived for neighbor. How you have loved God or loved neighbor. Does this still apply? Absolutely it still applies. It's God's commandments. It's God's law. And those of us who have salvation in Christ, it's not because we kept this, it's because we didn't, we broke it. We've sinned before God, but we've, He's brought us to conviction about that so that we've turned to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and receive forgiveness and power and clothed in His righteousness that we might live and speak for Him. Because listen, it's not just government officials that will be judged by the Ten Commandments. It is us, it's everybody. Now the judgment, if you're trusting in Jesus, the judgment has already been passed. Guilty. Sin has already been punished. Cross. His 
Forgiveness is sufficient for you to know that you're completely forgiven. Better than that, His righteousness. See, He kept, Jesus is the only one that kept these commandments in thought, word, and deed perfectly. He fulfilled justice and righteousness, and He offers that record to us through faith in Him. But see, God's not playing this morning or any other day. And if you look in Acts 17, 30, and 31, because He's given His Son and because He's raised Him from the dead, you have all the proof you need and God commands all men, which includes mankind, doesn't let you ladies off the hook, He commands all people everywhere to repent because He's, post, he's, he's planned a day when He will judge the world in righteousness by the Lord Jesus Christ whom He's raised from the dead. I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you, you don't measure up to this. You haven't kept a one of these laws. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus. There's not a thousand of them. There's not ten of them. There's one, and it's Jesus. And God commands us to repent and trust in His Son. There's grace. There's great grace available in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it comes through what God commands, which is repentance. A change of mind and heart about what is righteous and holy and just and what is not. Whether you're in government leading this nation or serving in this nation or just an average citizen, we are to repent and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and live lives in His strength growingly that line up with His commandments. See, this land is sick. This land is sick and we need to quit playing with God and we need to quit playing church and we need to quit coddling people and trying to get butts in the seats. We need to preach the truth of the Word of God. From the White House to the outhouse or whatever that means. To everybody. Because God has a case against the United States of America. Just as He had a case against Israel and Judah. And if He doesn't judge us, He's got to apologize to them. But He does not need to apologize. In my reading this week through the book of Hosea, and I commend to you daily reading, I commend to you to read the book of Hosea and to see God's heart for His people, even though His people have turned from Him. The extent that He'll go to to call them back and to save His people. But in that book, as I was reading, and I was thinking about what I was going to preach, and these verses just jumped off the page that as God had a case against the inhabitants of the land in Palestine of Israel and Judah, He's got a case against America. Now watch what He said in Hosea to His people. He said, Hear the word of the Lord, people of Israel. For the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land. What is that case? Man, this is just speaking over us today. There is no truth, no faithful love, no knowledge of God in the land. There is no truth, no faithful love, no knowledge of God in the land. We, we've had people come into Grace Church who've been in the church 15 years and don't know diddly. Because churches are not teaching the truth. They're not calling people into the Word. They're not teaching the whole counsel of God. They're having watered down gospel sermons every Sunday to get people on the rolls. 
But what it's about is knowing God and loving God and living for God. But God said in Israel and Judah, there was no knowledge of God. Which they didn't know about Him, who He was. They were pursuing their idols and they certainly didn't have this intimate knowledge relationship that they were to have. Look at verse 2. Cursing, lying, murder, stealing, and adultery are rampant. One act of bloodshed follows another. That's watching our news. And we're not even told all of it, even a part of it. Thousands of babies murdered every day. Just in this country. Lies told from the top. Just as serious. Theft. Dishonoring God, not loving man, promoting self. If you go read about the kings in Israel, and you go read about most of the prophets, and you go read about this, this, this nasty religion stuff that was going on, that, you know, peace, peace when there was no peace, and don't worry about it, God's not going to judge us, and you know what you just need is five points to know how to be blessed. <clears throat> but God said, I have a case against the land. There's no knowledge of God. There's no faithful love. There's cursing and lying and murdering and stealing. Adultery is rampant. Bloodshed is rampant. He said in verse 6, you have forgotten the law of your God. And he said in verse 9, they have abandoned their devotion to the Lord. And these were God's people. These were religious people. Oh, they were very religious. They had lots of idols. We can't throw stones in America, right? There's a lot of religion in America that is not Christianity. It's called that. But it's not really following Christ. It's a form of godliness without the power. It's about tickling ears and building stadiums and I guess I should have included the preachers in my call to repent this morning, including me. You know what happened to Israel and Judah? Israel first, Judah didn't learn, Judah next. They were judged. They were attacked. They were exiled. Ungodly kings and ungodly people took them captive until they repented. And God kept His plan of redemption going. He didn't just write them off because He was bringing the Lord Jesus Christ into the picture who would die for our sins, who would be buried and who would be raised from the grave and who would give us salvation as a free gift. Repent and trust Jesus. There's no trusting Jesus without a change of heart in life. There's no tickets to heaven. God's Word calls us to turn and trust, to repent, to have a change of direction of our hearts, to turn to loving God and His Word and serving and living Him. And that's what we're calling for this morning. Israel and Judah were judged. They were exiled. They were removed from the land. And listen to me, America will be no different without wholesale repentance from the White House to the church house. Because America... Just look at... This election, just in, all over the place. It's obvious we're under judgment. Calvin said when God wants to judge a nation, He gives them wicked rulers. And we've had a string of them. 
Some better than others. None of them talking like this. Here's your application. I said my main point was, because it is starting to get away from me. Um, my main point was don't be surprised by evil. Let it remind you that you live in a fallen world and let it cause you to look up. And this is what I mean by look up. So as you look around and see the evil, don't be shocked, but look up and look up in these three ways. And you may be able to think of more, but I'm, I'm going to give you three this morning. Number one, look up in prayer. Look up in prayer. We haven't been praying like we're supposed to be praying. And we certainly haven't been praying for government officials the way we're supposed to be praying. Look at 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we might lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Do you know who the emperor was when that was written? It's a really godly guy named Nero. If you don't know anything about that, read church history. I'm being sarcastic. Nero. Evil. A beast. But Paul says our responsibility, Timothy, and you're to teach this to the church, is to be a people of prayer who make supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving for kings or presidents or senators or congressmen, on down. See, the, the first way we look up is to look up to God in prayer, in humility in prayer, realizing that we're no better. Such are we uh, apart from grace. So interceding for our rulers, for our government, for our brothers and sisters. So the first response to seeing evil is looking up in prayer because we recognize this is not our home. We're on mission and part of our mission is to be people of prayer, people of intercession. Secondly, look up in faith. Jesus is king of the universe and nothing has changed about that. Look at Ephesians 1.19. One of the things Paul is praying, he wants us to know this. He's praying for the church and wants the church to know. One of the things he wants us to know, and it's a thing we don't think about. I mention it a lot, but we really need to embrace it and think about it. It says, he wants us to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Paul is saying that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in you. So be encouraged. You can live for him in his strength. And for His glory. Now he says he worked it in Christ when he raised Him from the dead. God raised His Son from the dead. He doesn't have to tell you anything else. That is the proof He has given that He will judge the world in righteousness by Christ. And on that basis He calls everyone to repentance. And gives us grace as a free gift if we will have it. But look where Jesus is seated. Seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far, not just above, far above 
all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come in heaven and on earth. Everything, his throne is above them all. And his purpose hasn't missed a beat. And he is accomplishing his purpose, which is to take his gospel to the ends of the earth. And nothing can stop him and nothing will change that. Christ is king. And he can turn the heart of the king like a river. Whichever way he pleases. May he be merciful as he's judging this nation. May we see it that way. Lift our eyes and lastly live for him. Look at, so we look up in prayer, we look up in faith, and we look up in faithfulness. Spurred to live for him. So we, we look up in faithfulness, what? Faithfulness to live for our God in this dark world. Paul calls the church in Philippi right before, you know, in the context of the verses we like to quote about to live as Christ and die as gain, is this, this thought about us living lives, the church living lives that adorn the gospel. Living lives that adorn the gospel. So living lives that glorify Jesus and give the gospel a good reputation. In the culture. So we need to be faithful to live for Him and faithful, secondly, to speak for Him. I'm, I'm trying to set you an example this morning. But we need to speak plainly. We need to speak lovingly. We need to speak boldly. We need to repent of complacency and apathy and building our own little kingdoms and get busy with what Christ has called us to be busy with. And part of that is speaking for Him. Speaking truth to power. You see that down through the ages. You see that through the Reformation. You see men like John Knox standing before people that could cut their head off and tell, calling them to repentance. Mary, Queen of Scots, feared His prayers above everything else. Why? Because He lived for Christ. And His prayers were answered. So faithful to speak, speak truth to power, but also faithful to speak truth to the lost. Because that's who we are. That's our identity. You might have remember it in Matthew, but I want to show you just, just one verse, and, and this is our sort of closing challenge. And if you can't praise God for anything else, I'm almost done. Matthew 5, 14 to 16. Look at what Jesus says to his true followers. After saying you're the salt of the earth. We're to be a preservative and be living for him and loving him. It says this in verse 14. You are the light of the world. Not you might be, not you should be. Church, you are the light of the world. Why? Because the light of the world indwells you. The Lord Jesus Christ. And you're called to be that kind of light to this dark world. You are the light of the world. You are a city set on a hill. Look what it says, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to the house. So we don't turn our lamps on in our house and then cover them up with a blanket. But that's what we do with our testimonies. That's what we're doing with the gospel in the church. I'm as convicted about that, hopefully, as you are. You are the light of the world. Knowing who, who we are, knowing where we live and knowing where we are spurs us to live for Jesus the way we should live for Him. 
He said, in the same way, you, church, let your light shine before others so that they see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. In other words, they know why you're living the way you're living because you've lived and spoken. And they will give glory either at the judgment or now when every knee will bow at the judgment. But God will be glorified by you as you own your identity and begin to repurpose yourself to shining like what you are Lights in a hidden, lights in a dark world, lights in a rebellious world, lights in a sinful world. Christ is on the throne and will use us for His glory. And wicked rulers can be a great blessing to His church in purifying it, rededicating. See, you can't stamp out the gospel. Stop living in fear. Be willing to risk your neck. And to speak truth and call for repentance. You are the light of the world. Judgment begins at the house of God. Let's repent and trust and love Him and call others to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because without heart change, there will be no real and lasting change. Pray for revival. Because contrary to my title and the Phil Collins song, we are yet to spend one day in paradise. We will, if trusting in Jesus. And there, there and then, not here and now, there and then there'll be no more injustice. There'll be no more unrighteousness. There'll be no more poor. There'll be no more sickness or crying or death. There'll be no more sin or misery. Then, they, then, then, read Revelation 21, there will only be righteousness and justice and peace because we will finally dwell in a new world where only righteousness dwells and where only a righteous king rules. But until then, we're on mission for Him, to love Him and to live for Him and have our lives and our lips be about Him. Be instruments in His hand to live as Christ. Let's pray. Lord, have mercy on us and forgive us. We want Your benefits and blessings, but the church has grown cold to taking risk for You. Real risk. Godly risk. Word-centered risk. Calling to repentance risk. Let our current status and state of our culture teach us and reteach us that this is not our home. But it is our mission field. It is our battlefield with spiritual weapons to live in love for Christ, to point people to you, Lord Jesus, not to ourselves. Nothing. We get none of the credit. Our, we get the credit for all the bad that was in our lives. You get the credit for the good and the grace that you've brought to us. So help us to be humble with people and identify with them and, and, and stand on the same level and not talk down to people or be self-righteous, but to be faithful to say, by God's grace, I know where grace is found and it's found in Jesus through repentance and faith. Forgive us for our complacency, for our apathy, for our failure 
Lord, please change us. Stir us. Make us uncomfortable in this world. Help us to look up. In response to the evil all around us, help us not to be shocked, not to be discouraged, not to be dismayed, but to be prodded and pushed to look up in prayer. Lord, we're not the people of prayer that we need to be. We'll never be perfect, but Lord, help us to grow in being people of prayer. Prayer individually, prayer in our families, and yes, prayer together in church. We're so self-centered. We worry about what people are going to think about what we say so we won't pray. Lord, point us to you. Make us people of prayer. Make us people of faith. Our king is on the throne. And may we believe that. May we rest in that. May it give us peace. But may we not just stop there. Help us to look up by living faithfully for you in word and deed. May we not stop confessing that to live is Christ. But may Christ really be life for us. Help us not to blame others for the condition we find ourselves in in this country. To first and foremost blame ourselves and to seek to repent and change and be people who are on fire for their Savior, whatever that brings. Help us to do it lovingly, patiently, with compassion, but with joy and boldness and the fuel that the gospel gives to us, Lord. Christ is King. May we spend much time with you around your throne. And may we live for you in this dark world as light and salt that you've called us to be. Lord, please grant us repentance and faith to love you above all else. It's in Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen.